Good morning, Blizzard Watch City, and welcome, Jews, to another Chip of Lore Watch. Not to be confused with Netwatch, where we talk about all the deets of our favorite forms of brain dance. I'm your Eddie-seeking fixer, Joe Gatto Perez, and I've got my preem Ronin with me today, Matt Boga Rossi. How you doing today, Matt? I'm going by M now. <laughs> oh, I apologize, M, the mysterious Ronin. Well... If you haven't picked it up from that intro, we're going to be talking about cyberpunk again today. Why? Also, if you haven't picked it up from that intro, Joe is extremely excitable. <laughs> uh, so part, there's a couple reasons for this. One, the Edge Runner series was just released on Netflix, uh, and it goes back to uh, the cyberpunk universe, where Matt and I have talked about fairly extensively. Uh, if you remember, there was a point in time where Matt and I traded games. I was playing cyberpunk, and you were playing... I want to say it was uh, one of the Assassin's Creed games, and then we wound up swapping for a long yeah, time. Yeah, that is, that is correct. It was Odyssey, most likely. So needless to say, we are very excited about the content of Cyberpunk. Uh, so we're no, it was Valhalla. It was Valhalla. It was Valhalla. I apologize. Yes. I just needed to get that detail right. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about Edge Runners, what it actually has released as far as story goes, why it's important to the universe that is being created in the Cyberpunk 2077 game, and also the other reason we're talking about it is because Cyberpunk just released them rather large update not too long ago that actually incorporated a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I will say this, this is one of the few times that a property has so enthusiastically embraced an outside media thing. Yeah. Uh, very rarely do you see this level of it. So, yeah. And this seems to be a thing. This is the other reason that I wanted to bring this up as well and have an episode about it is because CD project red for all of their faults. And there are many, uh, definitely seems invested in the storytelling of their worlds. Uh, and this is not the only thing that they seem to be possibly looking at integrating. While they haven't made an announcement, there are plenty of rumors flying around that things like the Witcher series, there's a Witcher anime that was released not too long ago that actually was all the precursor stuff for how the, the order became the way it was. Um, there is a lot of stuff there. And with them confirming that they've started work on the next Witcher game, uh, there is now a precedent set for cross-pollination between properties or between media. So they may go ahead and make another anime or a live TV series or something that, that ties in with the greater Witcher universe that then is reflected in the game or vice versa. So let's start with our first impressions. Uh, Matt, what did you think of Edge Runners? This show is hella dark, man. Um, it actually, I, I said to my wife as we were watching it, uh, this show got the memo about cyberpunk being a relatively dark and fatalistic genre. Uh, it oh, understands yeah, sure. that, that stuff ain't going to go. Also, V must be practically a God after watching the, the, the end fight between David and Smasher. Oh yeah. Yeah. V's a God cause V, V kills Smasher. So Yeah. Jeez, but I, I thought it did a really good job of setting up the characters. I liked almost all of them. I even liked Kiwi. I even liked Kiwi after the thing that happens. Um, it's it's one of those things where like it's ridiculously on brand, right? Like it, absolutely, it, it, this thing is not even trying to to throw you a swerve. It is going to tell you the story that you see coming from the first episode. Like you don't know the specifics, but you know none of these people are going to have a good time, and it's it's unabashed about that. And I actually is one of the reasons why I really enjoy it. And yes, there is a warning. If you haven't watched it yet, it is very gory. It has a lot of nudity. There's a lot of adult content in it. It's an, it's an, an, an adult rated anime. It is an adult. Not, rated I'm not anime. saying adult, like, like it's porn. It's not, but it is for people who are capable of, of withstanding the images. And it also uh, deals with a lot of heavy tones too, as far as the story mm -hmm, goes as well. Mm -hmm, so absolutely. like, it's absolutely not for everybody, but 
regardless, I actually thought that it was really well done. I thought the characterization was great. The voice acting was really well done. This, oh, yeah. and, and the scene setups were really, really good. Now, the other thing that I thought was really nice about it, or at least interesting. So Matt and I had talked about this before, where Night City tends to be the main character. Uh, mm-hmm. Whenever you deal with the tabletop game, when you're dealing with uh, Cyberpunk 2077, Cyberpunk deals with Night City as its own character. And in this game, it sort of zooms that out or game, this the show, it zooms it out a little bit where there is more focus on the individual characters and how yeah, they navigate the city. I, I, I think that the it's interesting because the focus on the individual characters is the method by which the mm-hmm. city is portrayed. Yes. Uh, this is still about Night City. Oh, absolutely. Maybe it's more about the entire world, would be an, another way to put it. It's about not just Night City, but everything, everywhere, everybody, the the world as people are experiencing it. So, and yeah, go ahead. Uh, let's let's start with just kind of going with the scope of the story. So it opens up with uh, the, basically us getting introduced to the main character of of David Martinez. He's uh, trying to make some extra bucks, trying to sell some brain dances for Ripper Doc. He knows in the area. Uh, he's pre-sampling it, and the first thing you are introduced to is a cyberpsycho incident. Now, cyberpsychosis is when somebody has pushed themselves to the limit of upgrading their body with mechanical implants, uh, basically more cyborg than man uh, or person, and starts losing their sense of self. Their brain starts to shut down because their nervous system can't handle that much hardware. They're not made yeah, to the be like in, that. They're taking too much input, basically. It's like if you tried to hook up a computer with a really janky power supply to like all the possible upgrades you could put, you could mm-hmm. make to it. it the, there's not enough power. There's not enough anything to run all this. The, the brain cannot be the CPU and the power system for all this stuff. It's just too much. And it isn't. It is an incredibly dark moment. Well, David comes out of the brain dance, uh, goes to bed, wakes up in the morning. He's getting ready for school. Uh, he's waiting for the washing machine to be done with his clothes. And the washing machine stops because this is where you start getting introduced. If you're not familiar with the world of cyberpunk, everything costs eddies or Euro double dollars. Everything doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. You run an apartment that has uh, appliances. You have to pay individually for those appliances. Those are extras that get added onto your apartment. Um, yeah, and in this case, his mother had because of you know her own struggles to keep everything going because she's been paying for David's schooling. She accidentally forgot to pay for the the washer dryer and that means he has to go to school in his normal clothes because he can't wear his school uniform because it is still soaking wet and as he's heading to school we start to actually get a beat of the city where we start to see uh trauma team as he's moving through the metro monorail type system that they have in the game or in the in the world uh i'm, I'm gonna say game a lot folks my brain i've been playing a lot of cyberpunk 2077 yeah. in the last couple of weeks um but you start to see how trauma team interacts with it how people are pushed aside he's walking by not paying attention to a dude getting held up at shotgun point um the city or, or the people that are essentially engaging in uh sexual brain dances in public um public intoxication going on at bright early hours of the morning where i believe it was a line from the books and was repeated in the game night city only looks pretty at night because you can't see the filth on the street um <laughs> and that's sort of what you get here you get to see the stark reality of how desperate everything is. And then as he moves forward, you find out that he is a student at Arasaka Academy. Now, Arasaka may sound familiar to you because it is one of the major megacorps in 
uh, cyberpunk that is responsible for the main storyline of the video game, but also meddling in everything from uh, religious affairs to political affairs to uh, street level cop affairs uh, to the pack where Max Tech, even the the unit of Night City P- uh, Police that deals with cyber psychosis, will listen to Arasaka when it tells them to leave. Uh, because it knows that they can't, they they basically own it. They own Night City, for lack of a better term. Yeah, they're basically, if they're not the world's largest mega corporation in the area of Night City, they're the most powerful because they're the ones that engineered Night City's independence from the new new United States of America. Uh, they effectively own the mayor's office, especially at this point because Mayor Ryan would still be alive. Um, I guess mild spoilers for Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, but he dies off camera. You just you're just informed that it happened. Um, Regardless, Arasaka is in the driver's seat. Arasaka Academy is intended to be for the children of people who work for Arasaka. Yeah, executives. But, but David's scores were so good that he got in, but his mother is paying through the basically just bleeding money out to get him through Arasaka Academy with the goal of once he's done at Arasaka Academy, he would then get a job at Arasaka. That's what Arasaka Academy is for. Um David knows that's not likely to happen because his co like his co students all hate him because he is not one of them. He's the poor and, kid. He's the poor kid in the rich kid school. Essentially, yeah. what it boils down to. Yep. So there's a lot of scenes of his interactions with them and with the uh, the staff of the school to just in, to just give you a sense of you know from his perspective this is a waste of time. It's not going to work. Uh, none of these people want him there. Uh, but from his mother's perspective, this is she's willing to sacrifice anything for this because this is, in her opinion, this is her way out. Well, his, her not, way out for her him. Way out. Her way out for him, yes. Uh, this is his escape route that she's going to make work no matter what she has to do. Now, the reason that this is important is because this is sort of a common theme with a lot of the characters in Night City. So this is how your characters generally start in the tabletop game. Uh, this is how two of the three starting backgrounds in the uh, the actual video game itself work, uh, where you are basically trying to claw your way out from, in this case, Haywood or the the outskirts to a place of prominence and in, in, in sort of fiscal freedom, right? Because that's- And the other is basically still the same. It's just that you're just trying to claw your way back. Yeah. So And, and, and yeah. the idea there is that the fact is having a corporate gig and having that access to that type of eddies gives you freedom. And because that is what money gets you in night city. It's the only way to have freedom. In but night at city. the same time, because this is night city, because this is Arasaka or any other megacorp, it's not real freedom because everything is actually Arasaka's. And the second you do or, or Militech or, or yeah, or whoever that you're basically if you're a modern North American, especially in the United States, you understand that your health benefits come from the company. Now imagine everything comes from the company: your apartment, your car, your your medical care, uh, your your the cyberware in your head, which is basically their version of of a, a smartphone, which everybody Literally, has, by the way. Yeah, everybody's got at some level of it, and all of that comes from the company. And the second that the company is done with you, it all goes away. Uh, and that's so you've you've got this situation where it's it's basically you're still in the you're still like a trapped in the cage, but you have that really nice perch essentially, uh, or you can have a crappy perch where you have to fight with all the other things in the cage. Yeah. So her, in order to get her son through the academy, uh, we find out later. Do you mind if I tell this now? I, I Go for it. it. No, no, absolutely. We find out later that Gloria has been basically 
she works as an EMT. She's not in trauma team. But she works for one of the local hospitals. So when trauma team is like when, when they're not involved because either it's a cyber cycle with no coverage or what have you, she's been swooping in and grabbing implants mm-hmm. out of the, the bodies of cyber psychos who get killed and selling them to, uh, to like on the black market to mercenaries and so forth. It's the, one of the ways she's making money for David's schooling. Um, <clears throat> and she, David is gets in an altercation with other students and he gets like the snot beat out of him. Cause the, the Arasaka kid who's, who's picking a fight with him has Arasaka level software. Well, not uh, even just is, that he has Arasaka level, uh, yeah, cyber implants because his yeah. father, we find out and we're skipping ahead just a little bit before I go back, but like you find out his father is in, in charge of the division that is of Arasaka that's meant to compete with Militech, the military cyberware creator. Yeah. So as a result of that altercation, although David did not start it and Basically, he gets the hell beat out of him. He gets in trouble. I found this incredibly yeah. relatable, by the way, because oh yeah, it's it's yeah, it, it's the the poor the, the poor kid having trouble at school with the rich kids, and then trying to avoid the fight. Like, let's make that clear. David tries to walk away from the fight, yep. um, and then ultimately can't because the dude just throws the punch and starts beating the snot out of him. Well, they, he basically traps him in a corner and you know says something guaranteed to to tick David off enough to take a swing. And After then belly bumping beat, him. Yeah, then beats the crap out of him. Yeah. Yeah. So David then gets in trouble. His mother has to come into the school. They're like, you know, you're going to have to pay for this and that. And, you know, on their way out, he's like, why are you, you know, why will you keep doing this? And she's, she goes into like how this is her, you know, she knows he can do this. She knows how, how smart he is. She knows that he can have a good future, a good job at Arasaka if they just get through this. And, she, you know, and she tells him, this is my dream. Please just, you know, just try. And that's when the drive-by shooting happens. Well, it's not even just a drive-by shooting. So what winds up happening is they're driving home uh, after everything's happened, after the altercation, after after everything happens. And essentially, David is, is going to wind up, he's getting in trouble for it, and his mother has to come pick him up. So on the way home, they're driving through, and two gangs start fighting on the freeway. And this is a perfect encapsulation of Night City, because the gangs just kind of do stuff. And the people that aren't in gangs get caught in the crossfire all the time. That's literally what happens as either side of their car. One of the gang vehicles rolls up and then they start firing at each other through their cars. Now that doesn't kill uh, anybody. And they're able to, uh, they basically the, the gangs move forward, but with everything that happens and essentially the, no, I'm sorry. It was a gang going against a corpo limousine. Yeah. Um, They fire a rocket that flips the corpo limousine over and, Gloria can't react fast enough because she's frozen because of what she just had to, you know, happen. Uh, can't slam on the brakes, winds up slamming into the vehicle, and then there's a explosive fiery wreck. And in a moment of another perfect point or perfect encapsulation of uh, Night City, Trauma Team shows up. Trauma Team scans Gloria and David and then lets them to die because they are not policyholders. Yep. Right. So they do not get the the extraction. They do not get any help. They have to wait for normal city responders, which can take forever, depending on how the gang wars are or where they're at, because most of the the regular night city folks don't have air vehicles. Right. Uh, So fast forward a little bit. David takes gets his mom taken to uh, essentially the equivalent of a ripper doc. Um, It's they she goes through surgery, says she's you know, going to be stable. She's going to make it whatever, but you're going to have to pay us within three days. Here's your bill. And then after that, 
well, her coverage, your, your coverage didn't cover anything besides what we did. Uh, so she died and that's, that's it. Sorry. We couldn't do anything more because your coverage didn't have anything. That is yep. the baseline for night city. If you cannot pay for it up front, you don't get it. That's it. There is no post billing. There is no like yeah, debt. none of that stuff that they don't put people into debt and crush you. They just simply take the money or you don't get help. It's mm-hmm. that, it's that simple. And it's that way, not just with medicine. It's that way with everything. Like at this point, David is having to break back into his original apartment because they have not paid the rent yet because she died and there's just, they've locked the doors and that's it. So he's literally breaking in every night to fight, to have somewhere to sleep. So what winds up happening is he's going through his mother's stuff because his mother's belongings are given back to him is he finds that there's a Sandeva stand, which is a spinal replacement that links up with your nervous system. To- you have to comment here before you keep going. Okay, go ahead. Since technically that's not what a Sandevistan is. So I am really interested in the Sandevistan because that's a Kareznikov. If you look at the it, implant mark of the Kareznikov on your character sheet, if you have one, which I do, mm-hmm. that's what that is. That spinal thing, that's a Kareznikov. Yes, but the also Sandevistan's the... the software that you would use in your deck. So they've built a Sandevistan with, into a Kareznikov. And it's in the game now too. There's a new legendary, yeah. there's a new legendary, what they call a Sandevistan that looks exactly like that in the game. Yeah, and it's fascinating to me. Well, there's a reason for that later on oh, when yeah, we, yeah. we get into it. We get into it. We absolutely get into it. But I just really liked that bit. It was a nice touch. That, that it looked like it was a mistake, but then you're like, wait a minute, that's that's a Kresnikov. What what's going on? And then it comes into the whole thing later. And they so, call it a Kresnikov at one point too. That it's a competitor yeah. for it, right? So he decides, screw it. I'm going to go get this installed. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the doc who screwed me in the first place because his halo, his essentially the thing that allowed him to log into school stuff, needed a license upgrade that he couldn't afford. Uh, so he went to a ripper doc to essentially get a uh, hacked software that wound up crashing everything. Uh, but then he's like, "You're fine, doc. You owe me. You owe me absolutely for screwing up my life. My mother wouldn't be dead if you didn't do this. Like this is your fault. You're going to put this in, and that completely doesn't work." Because the Ripper Doc does not care at all. But then he decides to put it in just because he wants to watch the kid die using it. Now, in, uh, I've heard some people try to try to say that he didn't want David to die. No, he absolutely did. And the reason is he gets it installed. And the deal they make is that when you die, I get the I get the piece of hardware for free. He doesn't give him any immunoblockers. Mm-hmm. Which Thinking is, it would kill him almost immediately. Yes. Which it should. But it doesn't. Because David has apparently got ridiculously high cyberware. In- uh which this comes in again, but his, his tolerance is a, it's a key part of the story. It will just an interesting thing because it's a a thing inside of cyberpunk as well, where some people just have a higher tolerance for it. Um, Enter things like Adam smasher, who uh, is a legendary figure and has been a legendary figure in the role-playing game and the video game up until the things with V, which we can talk about that otherwise, because I have theories on that anyway. Um, Sure as heck lost this to Morgan Blackhand in 2022, didn't he? Yes, he absolutely did. Um, Morgan and Blackhand doesn't have any real implants. Nope. But <laughs> but the idea is that he has the highest threshold known to mankind where they're not sure how much of his human meat suit is still left. He might just be a brain inside of a robotic body at this point. They're not sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure that is where he is by the end of the game. I mean, I by the time so you're too. playing cyberpunk, that's that seems very late. Yeah. So... Nobody else has has shown that sort of resistance, but David did. And David actually is able to activate, uh, and we're just going to call it the Sandy, uh, because that's what they refer to it as. 
he's able to activate the Sandy 10 times in a row before he manages to have any problems. And, and that that's is- with no immunosuppressants. Yeah. None. There is nothing given to him. He, this is not a Vic, a Vic type cyber doc. This is a dude who gave him nothing and he just used it 12 times. He was fine. Yeah. And in, so he goes on, he's trying to figure out what to do and he winds up running into, now he had noticed this girl before who Lucy, who is a net runner who uh, at this point is scamming chips uh, off of folks on the train. Uh, so she's doing this on the train that he's on. Uh, the chip pops out of uh, some dude's neck and she goes to grab it. David activates the Sandy, grabs her wrist. That's and- that, that chip popped out of his head. That was, his oh, it's, sorry. It was David's chip. Yeah, yes. You're correct. Was, yeah. So that's why he, he kicked it up and grabbed her. I was like, Nope, I don't think so. But then it starts the, the first time of him getting into edge running because now to test him after they make a deal uh, with a 70, 30 split, they start working together to pop chips, grab chips, and then sell the chips. And this is where the immunoblocker immunosuppressant starts to come up uh, because he starts bleeding from the nose, passes out. Lucy takes him to the Ripper dock, chews out the Ripper dock for not giving him any immunoblockers, and then sells all the chips to the Ripper dock to pay for the immunoblockers that David needed to, to basically keep going. Mm-hmm. Then she takes him back to, at one point, her apartment, where we find out now that the person who was originally supposed to get the Sandy from Gloria, Lucy's part of that crew. Um, and while she keeps him busy telling him her dream of going to the moon, sharing the brain dance with him, Maine and the rest of the crew show up and knock David out and drag him up and hang him up from upside down from his legs, uh, where David then starts basically saying, you know, I didn't know it was yours, didn't know it was supposed to be founded in my mom's stuff. You know, then they figure out that his mom was Gloria and Maine puts him down because Maine had a good relationship with Gloria. She was his main supplier for Chrome. And while this was supposed to be for him, David makes a deal to start working it off as a member of the crew and starts becoming the rookie in the edge running crew. And I'm going to shut up and let Matt talk for a little while. Well, the the training, I want to call it a train montage, but it's an entire episode of, of David learning the ropes. And it's, it's really good. Actually. It's, you get to know the characterization of all these people. Um, like I said, Rebecca is an absolute standout. I liked Kiwi. I like Falco. Um, I like Doria. Actually, I, I, I like Doria and Maine's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one guy I don't like, and I can never remember his name, but he's Rebecca's brother. Oh, um, yeah. I can't remember his name, but the dude with the long hands. Yeah, the dude. He is. He. Oof, I do not like this guy, and I am not upset when something happens to him. But you, you get to see David interacting with these people, uh, learning. He, he is really good, but he's an incredible newbie. He doesn't PR, know. Oh, Pilar. Okay. He is very good, but he's a newbie. He doesn't necessarily know stuff that they know. So sometimes things go well and sometimes they don't, but they inter- they involve him in their working for a fixer named Faraday and Faraday's got them on Arasaka and they want to, they're trying to steal a chip out of the, the neck of one of his, of this man, Tanaka's bodyguards uh, and, and, and take it out to the car use it to steal information in the car and then put it back in and without him noticing. But unfortunately they, they get halfway. David uses the sand of Easton and steals the chip. Uh, they successfully get it out to Lucy who is using it in the car to hack the car. But despite a, a really a clutch distraction by Rebecca, when he gets, he gets a call from, from uh, Arasaka HQ saying, you know, all hands on deck, get in here. Uh, you know, Tanaka needs you now. So he heads out to, to get in the car, but 
David and Lucy are out in the car trying to like just finish and get the information they need. They just get it done as he starts showing up and like shooting at the window, which is of course armored. So he doesn't immediately get in. David is forced to drive to try and escape. And this leads to a high speed chase that is full of chaos and explosions and tiger claws show up. And if this, this show is nothing, if, if not a gift for people who just want to see people in, in gangs in cyberpunk that they hate get shot because my God, this whole thing, um, Eventually, they they manage to they think they've gotten away, but the cyber, the Tiber cause catch up to them. David manages to use the Sand of Easton, but he can't really do much. He doesn't. He's not a fighter. He's he not trained really, yet. Like, yeah, yeah. He doesn't. And Lucy kills one with a uh, mono wires that she's got. But then the the other one, it, it's just it's a real mess. The the gang, group shows up, but at this point, the car is destroyed. There's no chance Arasaka will not know that something happened. So the information they got is already useless. Osaka is going to change their their stuff immediately. As soon as they as this happened, now they've basically changed all their routes, and all the information you got is out of date. So they they get they still get paid because they still got the information. But the fixer Faraday makes it clear when he shows up at Maine's little after party for the for the for the crew that he is not happy and that they're going to have to keep they're going to have to clean this mess up. Um, which you know, Maine takes. There's a there's a there's the combative relationship between Faraday and Maine. You see here that that leads into stuff that happens later. Um, because you know, there's like an old one of the old sayings of of Night City is don't trust anybody. Don't trust anybody but You're, yourself. Yeah, don't even trust yourself. That, that you can't trust that guy. He's you. You know what he's up to. He's like. But regardless, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff underneath the surface. And David is basically, he's happy to have found a place to be, but he's trying to like, he doesn't understand what he's doing. One of the things I, I found really interesting in the training montage area is when Maine asked him, have you ever, you know, do you ever use a gun? And David's like, no, I'll just, I'll stick with the sand of Easton. And he's like, dude, you can't stick with the sand of Easton. You don't know enough to keep yourself alive. You need, you know, you don't want to use it until you're like much better than you are. You're going to have to learn how to use it. And so that's an interesting moment too. It, it's funny because it shows the other aspect of, of cyberpunk that we haven't really talked about as much is while yes, it's a extremely dark and fatalistic storyline. There are these kind of found family groups that start up. Yeah. And that's what and, the edge runners kind of are right. Like, and yeah. edge, edge runner you'll learn is not an, not a new term. It's uh runners or cyberpunks. That's another word for them in general. It's another term for them, but they tend to operate more at the fringes of things. They're not mainstream known quantities. So generally speaking, you're not going to see them uh, taking like huge corpo contracts or being sought after by corpos uh, as much as running for small time fixers. In this case, like Faraday, uh, who for all of his bluster is a small time fixer trying to make it big um, mm -hmm. or people like if you've played the game like Dexter Deshaun, where he's trying to crawl back into prominence. Right. Because when you play the game as V, as Jackie, you are edge runners. You are, you know you have a small reputation in your local community, in your local time, in this case, Haywood, uh, but you're not really well-known. And that's what this group kind of is until they start getting more and more prolific jobs and starting to get further and further along. Uh, but it does a really good job of showing how your crew will try to take care of you. And Maine makes a comment that I think is uh, rather interesting. Because after the first job's done, Maine goes and they're celebrating and he, he paid not only David's cut of the job, but paid to have somebody go and get actual, like a good supply of immunosuppressors for him. Like 
And he said to him, there's no such thing as wasting eddies if you're investing in yourself or your crew. And it's that's kind of like a really important thing to note because it's like, yes, it's a found family. Yes, it's a gang of thugs, but that game of gang of thugs takes care of each other, right? Yeah, they they watch each other's backs. Maybe you can't trust everybody, right? Not in Night City, but you still there's, a, there's somebody that you don't have to immediately worry about. Yeah, they at least and have it, your back in a firefight. Yeah. And it, and it's it's an interesting scene. And then like I'm trying to think like episode three and four are basically about David growing. Yes. Um, uh, smooth criminal and lucky you. Yeah. And I mean, you want to talk about him? No, go ahead. Keep going. I'll okay. interject. I I don't remember episodes four and five. I mean three and four. <laughs> That's what I'm. I mean, I mean, I remember them, but not enough to give a plot synopsis. But basically, as they're taking jobs, David, uh, he's he obviously wants to get closer to Lucy, but at the same time. He doesn't like he, he the night of the party. He sees her kind of, he thinks she leaves with Falco. Yeah. Um, and he's like, okay, uh, I guess that was not going to happen. So you, you see him basically training up. Uh, there's a really funny bit where he goes to uh, Rebecca and Pilar's house. Um, because he's, he's off. desperate for a job. He's desperate to yeah. do something. Yeah. He need, he's like, and th- there's a really good exchange between him and Maine where he says, Maine's like, look, are you still, are you broke already? Did you spend all that money? He goes, it's not about the money. It's like you said. I mean, I need to get better. I need to like, I need to not be a, a newbie. I need to do jobs. And so I can get experience. Uh, and my, my pad's doing that thing again. Uh, but so, so basically he, um, he, like I said, he goes to various people. He goes to each people. Remember the crew, like he goes to Dory at one point. Uh, he goes to Kiwi and then he goes to, to Rebecca and Pilar's house with a delivery. And you get a sense of the Rebecca Pilar dynamic, which is that even Rebecca can't stand Pilar, but also Rebecca is, unhinged oh yeah 100 and and i and this is and she reason, doesn't have any cyberware at this point either no well i think she's got eyes maybe looks like she's got my, my she's got the eyes uh but the thing is is i think rebecca is there's something up with her because she looks like a child but she is very definitely not a child like this is an adult woman i'm not sure why she looks like that uh, i don't know if she just just isn't very large or what's going on um but it it's interesting to watch the dynamics and to see them do take to take jobs and how the jobs pan out um i'm trying to think of like eventually uh i want to say v so bad uh david and lucy eventually do get their moment together where mm-hmm. like after she had after they had their original meeting and they did the moon bd and she told him about how she wanted to go to the moon he had like he thought she had like set him up and was lying about it. and she says i wasn't lying about that that was for real and he goes, well, I'm, I'm glad you weren't lying. And that they have a night together. And after they have the night together, uh, David's back talking to Maine. And, and Maine's like, what's with you? You're confident now. Did you get laid? And there's like, like they, this, the hazing they do to him is it's really kind of funny because it's affectionate. It's like a, what you'd expect for like a gang of roughnecks, but they consider themselves a team. You know, they're a crew. It, it does a lot to establish how this group works, how they operate. Maine's idea is that, you know, he takes care of his crew, that everybody gets a cut. Nobody gets left with nothing. And it's it's fun to watch. But at the same time, that also sets up the things that are coming. Like Maine starts having problems with his hands. Yeah. And part of that is because Maine, Maine like a lot of other folks in, in Night City, and this is sort of a perfect personification of each one of these characters represents an archetype inside of 
the cyberpunk universe almost to a T and I'm absolutely they map com- really well to a pen and paper group. Yeah. And I absolutely think that that was intentional. So Maine is the, uh, the uh, cybernetic jock. He's a Chrome jockey. Um, he believes that the only way that he can continue to make it big and to claw himself up to the top is to continue to make himself stronger. And for him, that means making sure he's completely chromed out. Um, the problem with that, as we talked about before, is that cyberpsychosis is a real thing. Um, in the game, there's a way to cure cyberpsychosis, which is unheard of up to this point. Well, there might be a way. We don't actually this- ever see anyone get cured. We know that Re- Reggie seems to think she's got something, but we never see anybody come out of it alive. That's only- fair. But the potential- and the only people we see who survive uh, being picked up by MaxTac are people who join MaxTac. Which, well, that's the thing. We we do know, actually uh, a counterpoint. We do know that there is a cure, or at least no. Yes, I, I, we don't know the that ma- there's a cure. The mantis- we know that they can keep those people from going completely insane. But how are they doing it? That's Fair. the thing. We we don't know. We're going to talk about that probably in the future. Yeah. Matt and I have already talked yeah. about this because there was a tweet that was coming out last yeah, night, and yeah. I've been saying this for weeks. Anyway, but. Like so, an example of this is in the promo uh, release for uh, or announcement for Cyberpunk 2077. There was a girl with mantis arms that was literally in cyberpsychosis that was murdering everybody. When you play the game, she's a she's part of Night City PD Max Tech. Yep, and she right? still got the, the mantis blade she used to kill people. She still does, and but we don't know. But regard- when you talk to her, though, when you talk to her, she does not sound like somebody who's not cyberpsychotic. Did you? When you, you, when you killed him, did you like it? You know, that moment with the blood's flowing, but the light's gone out in there. You got a gift. You want to join MaxTac? I'm getting the sense that literally everybody in MaxTac is in full-on cyberpsychosis, and they're just somehow kept quiescent until they go out and kill people. That's the sense I get. Uh, but it's, it's really creepy, that moment. Getting back to the game, however, I mean, to the show, now I'm doing it. Uh, so Maine's having problems. Faraday keeps like, you know, trying to get them to, to get that information from Arasaka. And it all leads to like a mission where they, they find out that the guy that they were trying to get the information on, he's got uh, a weird hobby. And this is actually interesting because it ties back to the doc stuff. Yeah. Um, you, you go since you said, yeah, you go. There's a, there's a lot of, we're going to, there's a lot of looping here and I apologize, but the idea is that brain dances are a thing. Brain dances are a form of entertainment where you buy experiences. If you've played the game, you're introduced to it very, very early on when you meet Judy and Evelyn, uh, in the moxies and you, you, you get to go to, uh, the, the actual bar, right? Lizzie's bar, uh, which is a brain dance bar. Um, the idea is that you can buy experiences that you can have yourself. There is a subsect of it very much like in, in, there was a problem in real life. Um, and I remember growing up hearing about like this being a thing. Um, and I apologize. This might be uh, a bit much for folks, but before Joe gets into this, uh, spoiler warning for people who, who don't want to hear about specific violence or death related imagery. It's it. This is something that I know triggers a bunch of people. So just if, if you think you might be one of those people, maybe skip ahead a minute and then we'll, we'll be talking about stuff. That's, that's less horrible. So go ahead, Joe. Yeah. So the idea is that it's a subset of brain dances that revolves around, uh, essentially snuff films and snuff culture. Uh, you deal with it in the game. It's deal with it here. There it is. Or in this particular case, snuff through cyber psychosis. Um, it is an important thing because again, we've been talking about cyber psychosis all the way through this. 
but this particular executive has a thing for it. And there's only one person that is known for tailoring specifically to one high-end clientele and to that particular subgenre combined. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the, the group figures this out. They find it out also thanks to David and the fact that he used to. David was selling the, the XBDs back in episodes one and two. Through, through the Ripper doc, not through the, the one that was doing the editing. Um, they figure it out. They go and they try to uh, assault uh, this person and get them held hostage. So the fact that they can arrange a ambush for the Arasaka executive. Um, they manage to eventually do so after realizing that the editor of these things actually sets up these events themselves in order to create the high-end content, quote-unquote, that his customers demand. Uh, They do eventually uh, wind up beating him into submission to the point where he agrees to help set up Tanaka. Tanaka shows up and gets jumped and gets taken out uh, by a combination of both David and Maine because both of them have to take him down because he's an Arasaka uh, executive with tons of money in charge, as we find out throughout this endeavor, of their essentially their competitor for Militech Wing. So he's got a ton of cyberware in him, and it's all yeah, really high end quiche stuff. Out. Like the only reason that he doesn't kill Maine is that David Sandavistan is also experimental, and he manages to to interpose himself long enough for Maine to hit the guy. Yeah, it's it's real nasty. In the scuffle, however, the first thing the Arasaka executive did was launch off a bunch of like needle spines out of his hands. Mm-hmm. And ironically, the only person who gets hit is the uh, it's J.K. I believe his name is yes the uh, the the brain dance editor who is a ripe piece of feces. Yeah, it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. But it's it is his interplay with David is also interesting because it sets up a lot of stuff. Uh, that happens later in the in the series a lot of stuff about cyberpsychosis and about what's what we're seeing so, so. i want to try to move this along because we only have so much time but like the, throughout this they they start jacking into uh the executive and start digging through tanaka. his uh, tanaka and start digging through his his files his memory to learn a couple of things one that he is a, in charge of this complete program that's moved completely under him specifically to try to create military grade cyberware to compete with Militech. The second thing is that there's a list of all of these candidates. Um, well, first of all, Kiwi tries Kiwi can't get through the ice. So Lucy goes plus in. and plus the Kiwis has a problem in that Maine starts to have his cyber psychosis and he, he literally beats Kiwi up. He takes her jaw off. Yeah. Is, which is Literally. very questionable, but so Lucy so dives as, in. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll go. As they're doing all this, they're basically Lucy's diving in to get the information. David's watching Tanaka, and he's supposed to keep giving him injections to knock him out. Uh, Maine is losing his his mind, and like the the Dario, the person who's basically been his kind of second in command and and girlfriend. I'm not sure if girlfriend or boyfriend, I, could, I couldn't tell you with Dario. It doesn't matter. Uh, they're trying to, to get, you know, he, Dario's trying to get Maine through all of this. Uh, Falco is just pissed. And, and he's like, he took Kiwi and tried to get her some help. And he also told Faraday, the, the fixer, what happened. So now Faraday shows up while Maine's trying to do something. And I don't know what happens. I don't know what Faraday does to Maine. Like I never, you don't see it. You just know that Faraday's there. Maine's reacting. Now you're like, is Faraday just a hallucination that Maine's having? Or was he actually there? I don't know the answer to that question. It's never very clearly stated, but with what you find out later, it's likely. Anyway, Lucy finds out that David is one of the subjects 
that they want David because he's got such a high tolerance for cyberware. So now she gets like, as their relationship is getting closer, she now is like, I've lost so many people I care about. I can't let this person I care about die. Uh, Arasaka has managed to figure out where Tanaka is. Tanaka blows up his own brain to keep them from getting everything. Uh, but, but Lucy manages to get almost all of it, but then hides it because it's David's involved and she doesn't want David to, to be hurt. Then Max Tack attacks and Maine goes full cyber psycho and he's just murdering people left and right. Uh, at one point, including his the, own partner, uh, including his own partner. Uh, there's a point where the, the uh, brain dance editor trauma team shows up because he has trauma team platinum. And so there's now a three way gunfight with, with uh, the police uh, trauma team, and the you know main basically being a lunatic, Dario tries to stop him, dies. David gets Lucy out, but then tries to go back and in and save Main because you know quick he point lost of order. His mom. It's, it's actually not the trauma team for the uh, editor; it's the trauma team for Tanaka. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. For, um, but everything goes haywire. Um, it's it's just it is it is the perfect encapsulation of a of a bad mission in cyberpunk. It is, it is perfect. Everything goes uh, sideways, just, right? Everything like, goes sideways in like six different ways. Uh, and at the end of it, Maine is making a Viking funeral out of, you know, gas canisters because everything is run off of chew two in the future. And so there's all these cans of like pressurized chew two that people use for fuel. And he's just piling them up on Dario's body. And as max tax shows up, because this has gone out of hand and, and, they're they're here to stop the cyber psycho. He just blows the whole building up. Well, and before that, I want to. There's something I want to go back to real quick. So, main cyber psychosis is a moment from his youth where he goes back where he's running before he's been um, basically upgraded before he has any cyberware. He makes it to the edge of the city, which is uh, like the outskirts. This is beyond the nomads' land. This is where the road stops, and this is kind of a, a thing where like. These cities, there is travel between them, but it's not like it used to be. A lot of the cities are isolated or cut off from each other uh, due to changing climate or or what have you. Um, but he actually sees David. And we see that cyberpsychosis at this point mostly replaces the imagery of what's actually happening around you with almost like a void. Like you can't see who's there or it interposes somebody else over the body that you're seeing. So like mm-hmm. you don't actually see the person. However, in this particular case, David is able to get through to Maine, which I think is very telling on how close Maine felt with David. And David's going to last stand with him and even Maine in the, the throes of his cyberpsychosis puts his hand on David's gun and says, nah, dog, it's my time. You're good. Get out of here. Go love Lucy and figure stuff out. You got to keep going. You got to, it's your, it's your show. Now you're not the rookie anymore. And David winds up running out and getting into the vehicle and they wind up getting out of there. Um, uh, you know, as everything blows up essentially and yeah. Maine is gone. Uh, but this is i'm gonna tell you guys something i thought this was the end of the show (laughs) (laughs) like i watched it today i thought well that's gotta be it man that's that's wow that's that was dark and then joe today was like so we talked about covering that and like yeah all right and i was like i should make sure i've got everything set up see if i get some notes and that's when i realized there were four more episodes (laughs) and those four episodes are a ride and i don't know 
how we can possibly get through so, just a synopsis of them and still discuss this. I, this I got a little much. bit. I got a little bit here. So okay. time advances forward and we see that um, in, in this particular moment, a couple things have happened. One, David has taken over running the crew. Um, they've, they've at this point, uh, Pilar is gone. He had, they had run that run in with a cyber, uh, a cyber psychosis uh, freak um, that wound up killing Pilar that the group had to take down earlier. So now it's just Rebecca uh, it's Rebecca and David as basically the main runners. Falco uh, still doing his stuff uh, as their wheelman, who's voiced by Matt Mercer, by the way. Um, you have uh, Kiwi, who is their net runner still. And Lucy has taken a step back after losing Maine, after everything that happened and learning about Arasaka's involvement. She's taken a step back. Um, she's not with the team anymore, but we see David is also essentially roided up. He's almost kitted out like Maine was new legs, new arms, new everything. Uh, mm-hmm. and they he start, is, he's like, at this point he's, he is significantly augmented and he is not an edge runner anymore. The crew is well known. They're, they're a well-known quantity of a successful group. Um, and they're starting he to has get actual more fans. He has actual he fans. These are actually like up and coming runners who want to join his crew. Yeah. Um, so that starts to move forward and we start to see, uh, the relationship between Lucy and David has evolved a little bit uh, where now they're living together. They have a huge apartment, um, but Lucy notices that David's arm is starting to do that shake. The same thing that Maine's did, even with his super high tolerance, she's trying to get him to walk it back a little bit. And yeah, just he, like, and it's a repetition of what Dario said to Maine just before Maine finally lost it. But he doesn't want to do that because he feels obligated to keep the rest of the team safe because of what happened with Maine in the first place. Vicious which is cycle. what Maine said to Dario. Yes. It's actually really, like I said, like Joe said, this is, it uses the secularity of its, of its storytelling to propel it forward. It's yes. like it's tumbling forward. It's, re- it's really, it's well done. So as we move forward, we notice that Faraday, the fixer, is not done with the Tanaka stuff, calls in David for a meet at the afterlife. Um, there are some NPC appearances throughout the show. Like we get to see rogue, um, Adam Smasher obviously is here and we'll talk with that in a minute. Um, but Faraday still wants the information on Arasaka that the David's group never got. So David takes on the contract, tries to get Lucy involved. Lucy can't, she's basically going on on her rogue mission, uh, killing off anybody involved in the project on Arasaka's side. Uh, as we find out Arasaka essentially, uh, raised her from a child. We don't know if she was gene grown or vat grown or if she was naturally born orphan with a gift uh, because Arasaka is interested in the old net. We know that for that's a that's an old thing. That's a, you know nothing it's, out yeah. of the ordinary, but they're looking for information lost on the Internet that happened before the that happened before the collapse. Things that might be still out there, the old information um, when all of her friends died, she escaped ran went to night city eventually because you can hide in night city very, very easily. But now she's Arasaka's wound up back on her radar and she's wound up on Arasaka's radar. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, Faraday then is flipping sides when he realizes that Militech will not give him anything more for the operation to run because he failed so spectacularly arranging things and figuring things out in the first place where he then reaches out to Arasaka counterintelligence and says, I want a job with you instead. I'll sell you everything I have. Arasaka counterintelligence goes, that's a really good idea. Um, tell you what, get us the, the, the piece of hardware and all the information on it and kill everybody that knows about the cyberskeleton project. Go ahead and do that. We'll make sure that you come in because, you know, promises are great and gold in night city. As things move on, they start moving towards that, that, 
eventual confrontation because now we see that Kiwi and Faraday are in league together because Faraday is trying to move up. Faraday is involved in the capture of Lucy uh, and is involved in bartering Lucy to Arasaka as another chip to move forward and has her trapped in her own little thing. David proceeds to try to go through the plan. Uh, and I, I'm speeding through a bunch of stuff here, and I apologize, folks. Uh, but eventually it leads to a heist where they're trying to go after an Arasaka cargo container that actually has a piece of tech that they want, in this case, the cyber skeleton. Uh, Kiwi gets them set up on the job. They go after it. Falco's there. Rebecca's there. Uh, and it's David and, uh, and Kiwi. They wind up breaking through. They wind up trashing the, the vehicle. Uh, they get through it and they get inside and they notice that it is that they're told by Kiwi that it's the cyber skeleton. David gets a call on his uh, basically his his tap, his cortical implant, his mental smartphone from from Lucy. And I'm air quoting this, saying that he has to save her. He has to get into the rig. It's the only way to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And Kiwi miraculously has the activation codes on a data slate that she tosses to David. Rebecca is pleading with David not to do it because Rebecca is kind of in love with David, but not really. It's kind of weird and murky. I would say that Rebecca has has made David the emotional center of her life. It's not as easy as being in love with him or, you know, what have you. He's replaced her brother and her surrogate father. So he's now like she's she's put him on that shelf. Mm-hmm. And she she does love him, but it's not necessarily it, at one point she did want to, to, to have sex with him because that's, that's she's, she was hinting at it. But at this point it's moved past that he's somebody of, of importance to her. She doesn't have any family left. David is that for her. And it, it is kind of tragic. Actually, the Rebecca David relationship is, is really painful and tragic and also kind of beautiful in a way. Um, yep. But one of the things we find out is that as David's cyber psychosis has been getting worse at one point he snapped and almost killed doc and doc gave him, He's like, here, t- this is the most, this is the military grade uh, immunosuppressants. This is all I've got. You've got nine uses of this. When you're out of this, you're done. If you, if you use all nine of these, th- th- there won't be anything left of you. You're, you will go, you will go crazy. It'll be like an elastic snapping. So David tells Rebecca, I need you. Only you can know about this. I have this medication. I have to take it. If I can't, you know, I trust you to do this for me. So Rebecca is basically, David is piling around on that the thing that Joe was just talking about, the cyber skeleton. He's, he installs it despite Rebecca's pleading. So now he's running around killing people with this thing, which is all part of the plan. The, the Arasaka wants him to wipe out Militech's uh, troops and then they'll they'll recapture him because, you know, he'll he'll probably die. And so Rebecca is literally at points jumping on him and making the, the, the injections go into him to keep him sane. That's what she's doing during the fight. It's, it's a big part of everything that happens from here on in. So I'm going to let Joe finish off because I keep interrupting him because we're both so excited. <laughs> so Lucy does actually call David, tells him that Faraday uh, has basically uh, double crossed them, sold them out to Arasaka, that the entire point was that he was supposed to get in the frame for this. Like he, she explains everything that she knows um, and the final confrontation starts to happen. So he does get in the frame. He takes out all of the Militech convoy that was coming after them uh, to basically reclaim their tech or to go after them. Um, and then immediately starts heading af- off after uh, Kiwi because Kiwi had basically taken Falco out uh, and taken back off to meet up with Faraday. 
Uh, they now know that they have to go and get Lucy back. So now they're in the vehicle, they're moving forward and they're going to take a run at, uh, they know that they're, everything is going back to Arasaka. So they go ahead and, uh, basically are going to make a run on Arasaka HQ. Uh, huge fights ensue involving the uh, Night City Police, uh, Arasaka, Militech. Everybody's trying to take them out, and David is just going to town in the the cyber skeleton, which is essentially his torso and head inside of a mech. He is essentially slotted in. If you're familiar with 40K, it's almost like a dreadnought at this point. Um, and again, Rebecca is slamming the, the immunosuppressants to keep him lucid and keep him present for as long as possible. Uh, they do wind up going, getting in. They wind up going into the uh, Arasaka headquarters where uh, moments before Faraday has released or given uh, Lucy to the Arasaka executives. And all of a sudden, as somebody is trying to kill Faraday, because that was the whole plan was to eliminate the loose ends. And after Kiwi had been betrayed by Faraday, because remember, part of Faraday's contract was eliminate everybody who knows about the cyber skeleton, Kiwi being one of them. Uh, and Kiwi telling them, you know, here I tagged his vehicle so you can track when he gets there. Uh, David shows up in the sand and uses the Sandy and the exoskeleton to save Faraday uh, because David wants to be the one to dismantle him. He doesn't want him to die easy, right? Nope. And he, he certainly starts that process by crushing him with a gravity wave from the exoskeleton. Yep. Uh, and now, this and is that, where. This, this is, is where. Smasher, yeah. Go ahead. Go. Basically. Throughout this, Adam Smasher has been established as a boogeyman. Like David doesn't even believe he exists. Uh, he's he's a character who, if you've played Cyberpunk the, the game, or if you played the original pen and paper, you know who he is. Uh, he's one of the big names in in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. You see him back in the flashback, uh, capturing Johnny for Arasaka, and essentially being the one to dispose of his body. Uh, if you you play to the end of the game, slight spoilers here you get into a climactic battle with him, which is the hardest fight in the game by a lot. It is a very, very hard fight. And so seeing him in action here, you get to see that there's a reason that it's such a hard fight. And it also makes you realize V is an astonishing badass because Smasher goes toe to toe with David in this cyber skeleton and he wins. Because don't forget, Adam Smasher has things like his own version of the Krasnikov. Yeah. He has his He's own got, yeah. version of like impervious skin and cyberware. He is every part the equal because originally the cyber skeleton was something that was being developed uh, basically for Adam Smasher. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be an upgrade for him for 2.0. And so in this particular point, they were it was always intended to find somebody who could interface with the cyber skeleton to fight Adam Smasher to see if it would be an upgrade for him or not. Yeah. And that's what he wanted more than anything was to prove it wasn't necessary. So he's going to town on David. David, meanwhile, does not care about this fight. And and this actually goes back to the beginning where David with the Arasaka kids, David doesn't want to fight Mm -hmm. because he's got Lucy in his arms and all he wants to do is get her the F out of there. And so that's what he does. He, Tells the the group to like you know to scatter. He grabs Lucy and he jumps out the, the basically jumps out the freaking building. And Smasher chases him. He's like at one point he's sliding down the building using the arms of the mech to scrape down. And Smasher is like going down an elevator next to him, shooting at him with a giant machine gun. And 
And the rest of the yeah. crew does try to help when they reach street level, and it unfortunately results in their demise. Um, although well, I don't know if Falco is still yeah. alive. Rebecca is still alive, yeah. Rebecca gets eviscerated by Adam Smasher. Falco yeah. gets his cyber arm ripped completely off. Uh, Lucy cannot hack Adam Smasher. He actually physically grabs the hack out of cyberspace air and crushes it, causing her to short circuit a little bit. Um, and eventually it winds up with David and, and him falling through with the, the rest of the bodies of the other folks falling through the street into the underground containment centers, essentially of Arasaka because Arasaka headquarters is built on top of some very ancient ruins. This is established in the game, the pen, the, pen yeah, and paper and the ruins like of the original Arasaka tower that got blown up by Johnny Silverhand. Yes. Sure. And in that rubble, uh, David is defeated, right? Uh, it is this moment where, he he can't do anymore. He is basically almost not at home. But there's a very beautiful shot of the moonlight uh, beaming down through the hole that they made to get down here. And David just laughing maniacally where Adam says, this is the most fun I've had in a very long time. You would make a very good construct. Now, this is an important bit. Constructs are a center point of the video game of 2077. Constructs are a boogeyman inside of the tabletop role-playing game as it is released now. And the idea is that you can take somebody's men mental, their, a map of them, just like they did with uh, uh, Johnny Silverhand, when he mm -hmm. was essentially the prototype, but very likely what they also did with Atom Smasher, um, and map it to essentially a completely cybernetic body where everything that made the person that person is still present, but there is no meat left. And so he makes that offer to David and David tells him, I don't give a bleep. And then Adam Smasher says pity and gives the final blow. All but of David was the whole time. David was just fighting to get uh, Lucy and Falco time to get away, which, which they, they did. And they have Faraday's money from the, the gig. They've basically, you know, they, they've got the cash that they were going to get paid. So Falco tells him that tells Lucy that David had basically told him, you know, get her out of here and to split the money with her. And that leads up to our final scene, uh, which is basically Lucy had always said she wanted to get up to the moon to get away from earth because, you know, her entire life on earth had been hell. And so it cuts to her on the moon trip. She's actually like, you know, basically out in a buggy. If, if you ever saw the Futurama episode where they go to the moon, it's very similar in that it's, <laughs> There's it's no like whalers almost, on the moon, unfortunately. It's almost theme park on, yeah. in a way. And so she goes off and she takes off her, like she goes, gets off of the trolley and she's walking around the moon. And then she sees David the way he was the first time they did the BD. He's like, I can feel the sun. And it's a, it's a really haunting moment because it's very much in the cyberpunk tradition of all the stuff you lose, you know? But it's interesting in the fact that unlike most cyberpunk stories, while it is a sad ending for a lot of the characters, it is oddly hopeful for Lucy because yeah. she got to escape. She got out and that doesn't happen. Night City does not let you go. Uh, so like that is sort of like an important thing. Like even though she lost David and lost the found family, she got out. She got what she wanted and she's alive. Right. And so it's a really interesting encapsulation of storytelling from the very first episode to the very last scene where every theme that you can think about in cyberpunk is just really well highlighted. The disparity of the city, uh, how how helpless one can feel, how easy it is to feel helpless, how much and how that. Yeah. How the helplessness pushes you. The helplessness, the feeling of, I, you know, I've got to do something. I've got to do anything to make a change will lead you to like you see over and over again. 
something I like to call the sunk cost fallacy because that's what it's called. I didn't make that up. Um, but the sunk cost fallacy keeps coming up. Maine's whole thing about I can't stop now. Uh, I'm too close. We've got to just push through this last thing. David's exact same thing. He's like, I lost my mom. I lost Maine. I can't lose you too. I have to do whatever it takes. They keep that keeps happening. People keep making these decisions that aren't the that aren't good decisions. Even Kiwi does. Kiwi knows she shouldn't go. At one point, she's leaving town. She tells uh, Faraday, "That's it. We're done. Pay me. I'm leaving town." He's like, "Ah, unfortunately, I can't. I need your help with one more thing. So if you come back here, then I'll give you your money." And she knows. She knows she shouldn't go back. She knows she should just write it off at this point. But she goes back because she can't. She's done too much to leave without the money. And that's how she ends up getting scragged. That that's a theme that is so much much a part of this show. It is really astonishing. Yeah, and uh, and not only that, but also like the hopefulness that that propels you. Like it's easy to write off cyberpunk as just a dystopian cautionary tale, which it is. Uh, but there are so many bits of characterization and humanity that still exists in a world of chrome and uncaring. All these people, all of, even these gangs to a level are, they want something better. They want something more than what they've been allotted in life. They understand that the world around them is broken and bitter and it will chew you up and spit you out unless you do something about it. And so they band together and sometimes for better or worse, but there's always that humanity essence of hope. And we talked about this when we talked about cyberpunk, the game before, which was there's always this underlying theme of does humanity prevail or when do you lose your humanity? And the show really does encapsulate it and also makes an argument. I would say that you don't lose your humanity, that you essentially die before that happens. But at the struggle, at the root of it, at the core of it, it's that human need for love and progression and for something better that is the driving factor for everyone and everything that occurs. And it is oddly upbeat in that despite the grim, dark nature of the anime. And I really appreciate it. I think it, I think it was really well done. What do you think, man? I mean, I don't dispute that it's very well done. Um, I don't know how much hope I see in it, but I do think it's interesting because Despite everything, David and Lucy made a connection. David and Rebecca made a connection. Uh, David and Maine made a connection. Uh, even David and Falco. Hell, I'd even say even David and Kiwi. Mm-hmm. Uh, for all that Kiwi, like Kiwi is to me is like a really fascinating character because you don't see a lot of emotion from her, but you get the sense that a lot of what happens is because, you know, she's the one who found Lucy and recruited her. But Lucy has the early Arasaka you know, training and the the absolute cutting line equipment and all that stuff because of what happened to her. That was horrible, obviously. But Lucy, but Lucy doesn't share any of that. Kiwi doesn't know where it all comes from. She just knows she's been she's been replaced. She knows that Lucy is better than her. Mm-hmm. And and the, she finds out when Maine smashes in her faceplate, and Lucy steps in and gets the job done that she couldn't do, and she couldn't do it. Even before Maine attacked her, she the, the reason he attacks her is he goes into a rage because she can't do it. She can't hack the Arasaka executive. His, his ice is too good. So that's what leads Kiwi ultimately to betraying the group is that knowledge that, you know, I am. That's a big part of Cyberpunk is that idea. Am I past my prime? Mm-hmm. Can I not do this anymore? What happens to me if I can't do this anymore? Because fading that's away what, is one of the worst things you can yeah. do. That's what happened with Maine. Maine doesn't want to let go because he knows. Once he lets go, if he if he tries to dottle back, that's the end for him. 
he's not going to be a, a, a preem tier solo anymore. He's not going to be someone people want to hire. And so it's there's always that struggle of hope versus fear. That idea mm-hmm. that you know I want something better, but the only way I can see to get it is to just screw everybody over. And ultimately, that is the sabotage. That's you. People always end up getting destroyed by this because they don't have anybody to turn to at the end. You know, Faraday dies because he literally burned all his bridges. Um, and that's the you know that's that's why David's sacrifice is hopeful. The fact that he refuses Smasher's offer, well, even though he doesn't really understand it, and more importantly, that he managed to save her. Yeah, that, and that's really it, right? Like it's it, because David, unlike Maine, he wasn't concerned about being past his prime. Like that wasn't it. It wasn't the fading away that bothered him. It wasn't anything like that. He kept going because he wanted to protect his found family in the way that he could not protect his mother. Right. Yep. And, and he couldn't and, protect Maine. So and he couldn't he, protect Maine. So he, he picked yeah. up the mantle. Right. And it was that almost like selfless, sab- like selfless self sabotage. Essentially, I will push myself to breaking to keep those I love around me safe, which is a unique thing in cyberpunk as well. Because mm-hmm. comparing it to Faraday, like David is the the foil to Faraday in that regard, and it's the same thing. He's a foil to Adam Smasher in that regard. Adam Smasher, yeah. Adam Smasher's uh, ascent into godliness and the boogeyman of Arasaka was all done through the personal selfishness of I need to be the best. I'm going to keep going. I'm Smasher never going is, to fade away. Yeah. Smasher is a shark. Literally, a ment- mentally speaking, his personality is that of a shark. He he will never stop moving and he will eat anything he thinks he can get away with. Yeah. Like that's that's just what he is. Uh and David didn't care if he lived or died. His death, his his legacy was completely unimportant. No. It wasn't what he was there for. Now, the interesting thing about this and the reason why we wanted to talk about this is not just because it was a really well done show. It sort of expands upon the universe of Night City in the current form of 2077 mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit. It gives you the prequel leading up to essentially V's story run. Um, there are references to the anime now battered throughout the game you can find them you can find journals that you know refer to faraday you can find uh lucy's monowire you can actually literally get it uh you can get rebecca's guns um you can find cyber hands that mimic pilars um you can find the uh, arm the the punching thing uh or a shotgun that main used um but beyond that it's now oh david's jacket which was his david's jacket originally david's jacket is in there yep um, so all these things are there, they're ever present and they're, they're in the story moving forward. But now we know that there's another, there's an expansion essentially coming for cyberpunk. There's a continuation of the story coming. And that's interesting on a lot of levels because cyberpunk, when you get to the end of it, depending on which ending you get, um, some of them are very bleak and very like, that's it. That's the end of the story. Um, so it's interesting. Actually, you know what? I don't know that they are bleak. That's that's interesting because you've 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 created this thought in me. I wasn't thinking about it before, but like the the ending where you become essentially the the uh, the the top. I don't know what you'd call you, but you own the afterlife. You're like a big deal. You're the runner. You're the top runner. Yeah, and you go on that mission for the guy who we're going to talk about a lot next week. That's actually got hope in it mm-hmm. because you know you're trying to do something to to change your fate. If you go with the nomad ending, you've got like a family now. No matter who you were, which which kind of V you were when you played this game, you've made a family and you and they are going off and you're leaving Night City. You're doing exactly what we just talked about. doesn't get to happen. Or the Judy ending and, where you are out of the city. 
Yeah, exactly. You are leaving Night City and you're, you know, you're, you're, or, that itself is a really good one. Or the one where Johnny takes over your body, which I, I feel like at this point, guys, the big game's been out since 2020. <laughs> that is a possible ending. And, but even that one, I don't feel like V is necessarily gone. Yeah. And like, and that's the other thing is that with this, and, and that's another thing that I bring up, the comment from Adam Smasher is really sticking with me. You would make an interesting construct with all of the things that you interface with, with all the personality stuff that you interface with, with Alt Cunningham, with the Voodoo Boys, with the, the Relic ch- uh, chip being a thing, there is nothing that says V is completely gone besides the game just trying to tell you that it is, but never actually confirming that it is. We don't know what exists beyond the Black Barrier. And mm-hmm. the show makes reference to that as well. The barriers that have been put up to keep the old world, the old net demons at bay and keep like the city internets running and separate are its own thing. But we don't know what happens after that. We don't know what AI constructs occur. We don't know much about yeah. alt. Let's be honest. We get like little hints and pieces, but not a ton, not a ton of it. So it is, it is really interesting. Um, the, the, the Adam Smasher thing also comes up with an interesting question is Smasher. Is there anything organic left of Smasher or is he like a construct in a machine? And my money's oh, on construct in a machine because why would Arasaka let him go? That's his, that is certainly one way to look at it. Absolutely. But keep in mind that he was loyal to Yorinobu. So but he's what's still, up with that? No, no, but, I got you. He totally worked for Arasaka. But what was the deal with that? Did, or, did Yorinobu offer him something? What did he offer mm-hmm. him? Yorinobu had the chip. What was up with that? And when, Or was the offer I, I'm never immortality? Gonna let, I'm never going to let this go. When Smasher comes into the room and you... And Jackie are hiding. He, if you have the threat detector, he is the only person in that room who cons red. Yep. Now I know that that's because he is the only person in that room that you ever actually end up fighting. I get that. I understand that that's a mechanical thing, but at the same time, I keep thinking about it. Does he know you're there? Cause that only happens that's, if they know you're there. And that's, and that, I've been struggling with that cause I just started a fresh playthrough again. And that caught me as well because it's something I hadn't thought about. And, but I'm like, but yeah, he would know because there's zero, there's zero chance he wouldn't have scanned the room as he was walking in. There's yeah, zero. He's, he's nothing but scanners. And there's zero <laughs> chance that like a thin, flimsy, smart TV wall would keep him from scanning you. So why, why didn't he do anything? Or did he just not care? Or was he not programmed to care because it wasn't an or, immediate threat? Or, and this is the one I think is more likely, did he want it to happen? Because he wanted his freedom. Like he might have wanted Yorinobu and he, he might have thought those armed people in there are going to kill Yorinobu and they're going to kill Saburo and then I'm out of here. Or it's part of something. If he could get control of the program, clearly he had unrestricted access to Makoshi. He did. Because he and comes he- down and he comes down to, to fight you. If both Saburo and Yorinobu are dead, he could just kill us, take the chip and go down into Arasaka, if if he is a construct on the older version of the technology also, inside of like a cyborg body, now he could get a meat body back. Also think about it this way too. Where do you fight him? Inside Makoshi. Right outside like right the mainframe doors. Yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a lot going on here and the show has opened up so many more questions, but also set the stage for so much more to happen in this universe in video games. And I really do hope that it is something that continues on because one, I really enjoy the video game, despite all of its flaws, despite everything that Honestly, happened with it. It's a good they game. Fixed, 
they fixed a lot of the flaws at this point. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm talking a, about from like few. developer standpoint as well. Yeah, but I think at this point, that's 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 you know inside baseball for for people who don't know that kind of thing. You can go and play it, and it's got there's quests and stuff in this game that are unlike any quests I've ever seen in any game I've ever played. Uh, that that some of them are you know some of them are kind of boring, but some of them are just astonishing. Mm-hmm. Like the Sinner Man chain, yeah, or even just the one off gig that you get to find out who you know who scrolled the BD yep. that, of the of the the murdered boy like it's it's a gut wrench i can't leave that room until i shoot those two people i can't do yeah. it i have tried and it's just yeah there's a lot to this game i feel like it would be a shame if they don't do more if they don't do a sequel or if they don't do more dlc for it it would be a shame to let this go because now they've got they've gotten the fallout 3 out you know yeah they've made their fallout 3 now they can make their fallout new vegas yeah, because I'm, I'm up front with you guys. This is the best Bethesda game I've ever played. If you, it plays <laughs> just like a Bethesda game. It feels like it feels like either um, like Fallout with slightly less apocalypse or Skyrim with a lot more apocalypse and and guns and so many guns. It just yeah, I, there's there's a ton to this story and getting also just just on a personal level, getting to see David's life. Yeah, really brings home how garbage happy this the life is in night city how for all that night city isn't the main character this time around it's still night city is still basically the a, a big character and you get to see just how awful it is yeah you and know, it's, it's interesting because it's juxtaposed against those those themes of hope so it is there's a reason why we talk about it a lot there's a reason why matt and i are both very excited about it it is a a story rich a thematically rich uh, setting, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the game does well to capture it. The anime did well to capture it. Uh, and going forward, I just want more. I want to see what they can do with this. I want to see what interesting stories they come up with. Because at the end of the game, even if V, even if V dies, Night City is still there, and Night mm-hmm. City is the main character, and nobody can tell me otherwise. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I think that's going to do it for us. So I'm gonna. Uh, are there any parting thoughts before I, I write us out here? I want to say up front that next next time, if you don't mind me saying this, next time we're oh. probably going to talk more about cyberpunk. Yes. Because there's something both Joe and I have been coming at from different directions for a long time now. Yes. There's there's a series of quests that are very much about the question uh, that we've just kind of we've kind of leaked in with Adam Smasher and the construct thing is I'm just going to say the words neuroplasticity. Yeah. Uh, and leave it from there. But there's a figure at the and in this in this quest chain, a figure who kind of around the edges of it, who appears again later in, in one of the endings of the game, who I think really needs an exploration. And also who follows you throughout the game. If you pay attention on a lot of yeah. the quests you do, he's there watching, but yeah. uh, we're in just sort of, sort of pull the curtain back. We are going to be talking about uh, unresolved or long-term storylines in our next, our next recording, uh, whether it's going to be in games or media in general, uh, we're going to be talking about, things like that things that are little nuggets that that game developers pull on as story uh moves along or as games release that maybe sometimes that payoff is not for a couple of years maybe the payoff is it happened in game one and didn't get a payoff until game three or four um same thing with tv shows or comics or things like that so we haven't quite pared it down to exactly which ones we're going to cover besides the cyberpunk one uh but we are going to be going into that uh so i do want to thank you because uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to your generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. 
Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, but I hate to say it, Tumors, we got a Delta, but we'll catch you next time. <laughs>